Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Diamond Collier. Originally from Indianapolis, Indiana, her family moved to Mississippi, where Diamond attended Jackson State University. When she found herself homeless, Diamond accepted an invitation from a friend in Houston for an open couch in their home. Thirteen years later, Diamond still calls Houston home. Diamond has been involved with the Black Trans Advocacy Coalition and Black Trans Women, Inc. since the beginning. After a successful career in retail, she brought her skills and talents to Black Trans Women, Inc., to serve as the organization's executive director. She's also the content creator and co-host of Marcia's Plate. Marcia's Plate is a lively podcast where three friends come together every Thursday to share opinions and perspectives through a black trans folks lens. Diamond, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? You know, how are you today? I know you're glad to be in Texas as opposed to being uh, in your home state, uh, Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yes. I've gotten spoiled by this nice weather during the wintertime because it would be cold and snowy and all kinds of stuff in Indiana at this time. Yeah, Yeah, I I feel really good. mm -hmm. What made you decide to move from Indianapolis to Texas? Um, oh, that's kind of a a dark topic. Um, I was homeless and I was, uh-huh. uh, and my mother um, had relapsed and in, into uh-huh. her addiction when I was staying with her while I was in college. And uh-huh. I had to randomly go somewhere and I was in a chat room and a trans woman said that I could sleep on her couch just to get, get uh-huh. me, give me time to um, get on my feet, and she actually lived in Houston, and I moved to Houston. I <laughs> slept on her couch for a month, got my own apartment, and I have been here for 13 years as of the 15th of this month. So two days ago was my 13-year anniversary. Well, happy anniversary. You know, but that that's the thing about community, and, you know, people might talk about social media, but to be able to reach out and have someone say, hey, I got a couch, come on. You know, Absolutely. and then. changed my life. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, kudos to you. I mean, a lot of people hear that, and, you know, that's a big move. You know, it's like, I'm not sure. I'm going to go all the way across the country here, you know, and can I build a life? But you did that, you know. Absolutely. You, but uh, but when you don't have options, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> when you don't have any more options, sometimes sometimes those things that other people say, oh, I could never do that. When you don't have any other options and this is your only lifeline, because at mm-hmm. that time, remember, this is around, like, um, this was 07. So mm-hmm. a lot of the, the, the changes that we see now in 2020 weren't happening. So there's certain, certain um certain like shelters wouldn't let trans people stay there Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. you couldn't go to the women's shelter you couldn't go to the men's shelter because that was a liability and you also couldn't go to the lgbt shelter unless you were hiv positive and i wasn't Mm -hmm. so at that time Mm -hmm. i didn't have any options and this person um rest rest may she rest in peace she has passed away since then but um, Bray, her name was Bray, and she she was literally 19, and I was 26. And her father, wow. her father um, had paid for her apartment because he didn't accept mm-hmm. her transition, and mm-hmm. she, but he didn't want to put his child out, so he just got her her own apartment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and she was like, I got a couch, and you can stay there. And I stayed there with her for a month. I moved in November the 15th. And November the 16th, I had the key to my own apartment, and it was a blessing. And I didn't have any other options, but that was the option that I took, and I don't regret it, and it changed my life. But, you know, and I know what you mean because, like, about that time, I can remember one time I worked for a shelter, and it's like someone came in who identified as trans and even trying to do their, their best. Like, you heard, I mean, these are, you know, quote, unquote, good people, who were like, well, uh, can't stay with the man, can't stay with the woman. So then they isolated the, this woman and put her in this, you know, which sort of like put a target on her back to be harassed. And it's like they don't know what, many of the shelters don't know what to do. And now there's some ways that it's better. But, you know, also you were in Indianapolis, which is, you know, like right it's kind of conservative. Well, actually, I was in Mississippi. <laughs> oh I was from God. even worse, even uh-huh. <laughs> even worse. Oh my God. Uh-huh. Mm. So yeah, actually, at the time that I actually had to move, um, I was in Mississippi. I'm originally from Indianapolis, but my mm-hmm. family is from Mississippi, and I had um, and I graduated from Jackson State University. So I had built mm-hmm. uh, my my family had moved to um, Jackson, Mississippi at the time, and that's where I actually became homeless. And so I was moving from Mississippi. They definitely didn't have any structure for trans people oh, or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. so I came to when I came to Houston um, from Mississippi. Not that it was any better, but at least that there there was a community here to help me. Mhm, mhm. Have you been able to like pay it forward? Uh, you know, like say to somebody who you've met like online or something? Hey, you know, come here. At least there's a community for you. There's a couch or no. Before and after. <laughs> All right. All right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my karma had already been paid. That was me getting it back. And I have also mm-hmm. done the same thing. I wrote my, a lot of, I, I've always, anytime I have a couch, anybody can sleep on it that is in need. Um, I, actually, my first apartment I got when I was um, 17 in Indianapolis at the time. Um, mm-hmm. my, my place was a shelter for runaway trans, trans people, runaway queer people, runaway, uh, lesbians were sleeping on my couch, gay men were sleeping mm-hmm. on my couch, whoever, if anybody got put out, 
mm-hmm. if anybody get put out because I was so young and I had my own apartment, they came to me and they slept on my couch. I fed them. Um, I had been doing that. Um, but, you know, where I was, that was in Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. But so much had happened and transpired over the time um, that, you know, I just didn't have those connections. People had moved and grown up and done their little things. Um, but, you know, I've always been, that's just kind of how our life is. Like, we make connections with people. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, in, time was it? In October? Last, not mm-hmm. October before um, COVID in 2019. Um, that's the last time I had somebody staying with me. Some uh, somebody was staying with me until they got their um, license, their CDL license, <laughs> and mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. got their license, and now they have the, their own apartment. And you know, now I'm just in a different situation. I just, I, I definitely have paid it forward, but it's it's, I, I, it's just you have to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. What did you study at Jackson State? A psychology. Mhm. And is that? Have you found opportunities to? Is that what you're working in now? I know you do Marsha's plate, which is yes. sort of like you know, which is sort of like psychology. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, you know. Marsha's plate is uh-huh. a podcast. It's a podcast. Mm-hmm. So yes, I do um, dive into history and culture from a black mm-hmm. trans perspective. Um, actually, what was kind of funny. Um, for the past 10 years, I've actually worked retail. Mm. The reason why that was because they weren't going into the field of, like, nonprofit or going into the field of that jobs that I was being offered with my degree. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't have, like, a master's. To make money in psychology, you have to have a master's, and I didn't have a master's. I just had a BA. Mm -hmm. And so the the jobs that I was qualified for and that I would be offered – they were offering me like you know thirty eight k forty five k you know thirty two uh, you know just different ranges but in, most of it was under fifty k but at the time when I was applying for those positions I was actually working as a uh, as a co manager for Bath and Body Works and I was making more money than they were offering at mm. this, at the retail mm. store and then mm-hmm. I became a store manager and I was making sixty five thousand a year plus bonuses. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, me, mm-hmm. so that amount of money in Houston as a single person with no kids, it was good money. Sixty five thousand was a good was good money, and I couldn't go work for like I remember I, I I applied for United Way and I got the position, I got the offer, and the offer was like thirty eight k, and I was already making mm-hmm. sixty five. I was making sixty five in retail. Why would I mm-hmm. do that? And so. It wasn't until recently, um, 2018, yeah, 2000, no, 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 2019, that I actually got the position as executive director of Black Trans Women's Inc. Yeah. It was a, yeah. it, it was a pay cut, mm-hmm. but, but I was able to freely do my Marsha's play. And so building mm-hmm. up my podcast business and having um, the executive director position, it gave me the freedom. It equals the same amount that I was making, um, and it gave me the freedom to actually do what I love. So I'm actually creating programs to help trans people and actually 
educating people about trans life and um, so I'm doing my passion so mm-hmm. even though it's a pay cut it's still I can still live off of it and I can still do what I love so it's I'm just I'm in a better living situation I'm in a better space in regards to my happiness and my joy making less money but I'm doing what I love to do mm-hmm. yeah you know did you feel you know like you said you went in there and you found and you were here you you got your degree, okay. Uh, you don't have a master's, but you've got the degree. You've gone to that, and you were able in retail to make more money. Did you feel, you know, because I've talked to other people about the discrimination. Was that part of it? Did you feel like maybe you had to, you know, to get into psychology and to go into that? Were you being judged harsher? Did you feel that that transphobia come through? where maybe in retail you would just, I mean, hey, if you can sell, you can sell, you know. So transphobia is in both both mm-hmm. fields. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I am a person that looks, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person that looks the part, I guess, I'm, mm-hmm. they, in our community it calls, it's called passable. Okay. Uh-huh. And so when you see me just walking down the street, you're not, you're not going to know I'm trans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm able to go under the radar where people just don't know I'm trans. Like at, at, I work for Bath and Body Works. I didn't actually talk about my transness at all. I just mm-hmm. was there to excel at my job. I didn't talk about it. My name was already changed. My gender markers were already changed. Anything that would mm-hmm. indicate that I wasn't, that I was, that I was trans, it, mm-hmm. it, it, I didn't have those kind of barriers. A lot of trans women have those barriers where their name isn't changed or they may, um, they haven't been able to afford certain, certain surgeries to be able to look a certain way. And so for me, um, I didn't have those kind of barriers, so I'm able to work a job without um, being exposed to the full brunt of discrimination of trans. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I know I've, I've known people who, you know, like they'll say, like, well, in some ways it was easier. It didn't come up. And I have a friend here who, I mean, I mean, she has got degrees up to Wazoo. And it was like, it was funny when she went to go and, and apply for this job. And she, you know, you know, she's at that point where, you know, I'm transgender. And some of the people, we didn't know. And it's like, well, you know, she said, but that part of her, she wanted to live authentically. And I mean, and, and like you now, she is working with a nonprofit that allows her to work with trans women and trans youth, uh, you know. So I guess even though that you you were able to to walk that that line, it must and be like a really big a really big sigh. You know, you must breathe better working oh, with you know God. doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I can't even explain the the heavy barrier that not having to worry about my transness um, mm-hmm. at the job that I, the job that I'm currently at. I remember um, at Bath and Body Works, people um, just me worried about people coming in and mm-hmm. um, that may knew me from my past or people who. Mm-hmm. May, who may have seen a video because I was a YouTuber as well. Um, mm-hmm. Who may have seen a video? I am. I have always been an activist, and I wouldn't say that I was just trying to keep it a secret. I just didn't want it to become a problem. 
I didn't want it mm-hmm. to be. I just knew how the world is set up. The world is set up that if you Thank know you. that I'm tra- if if you if you know that I'm trans, that could start the di- the discrimination. That can start mm-hmm. <clears throat> and stop me from getting advancement and getting positions. And quite recently, I talked to my um my ex boss, and you know when I I've, I've talked to her, and she you know she has come out and said that um. You know, she's very proud of me, and she didn't even know that I was trans. Like, this was within the past month. <laughs> but because she had seen me on LinkedIn and seeing that I'm mm-hmm. doing a whole another business, she contacted me. She was like, I did not know that you were trans, and I can only imagine what you have gone through in this eight years hiding that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't really say that I was hiding it. I just wasn't talking about it because... I'm here mm-hmm. to rub lotions and sell lotions. I'm not here to talk about my identity Perfect. or nothing mm-hmm. like that. Because when you do mm-hmm. that, it opens up the door for somebody to bring their biases in, and mm-hmm. that can work against you. And so I didn't want it to work against me, so I kept it a secret. But that's not living authentically. I should be able to, mm-hmm. when people are talking about their relationship and talking about things, when my coworkers are discussing things, I should be able to freely talk about my partners and talk about my, um, you know, my past and just whatever mm-hmm. I, experiences I have. But I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able to make authentic connections to my coworkers. Not that I needed to, but I was there for eight years. You would think that something would come up. Um, but, I didn't want to have those kind of problems, so I just went to work and went home. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, you know, because it's like, and I try, if I have friends who say, like, you know, they want to live every time that they have a conversation, and it, and it happens with our community all the time, that if you say, you come out and you say that you're gay, you're trans, immediately people want to start to talk about what happens in your bedroom. Or what, yeah. what, what uh, you know, or what you got going on under your clothes, which is uh-huh. not their business. You know, where last uh-huh, last week they were talking about the sales numbers, and then like all of a sudden they want to talk to you about well, and, and it, it's really not their business, and it doesn't change the person who they were working with the day before they found out. Absolutely. You know? Now we got to open up the door. Now, if you know I'm trans, then it kind of opened up the door of the conversation. Oh, where are you using the bathroom? Is that against the law? Or should I feel unsafe? Or all these kind of biases that can come up. And in in my past, like, I had to live that way because in my past, I've been fired from three different jobs in my mm-hmm. past because of my transness, because my transness was exposed. And, you know, and it changed the trajectory of my life. I remember... Um, um, when I was 20, 22, I had custody of my brother because my mother um, had went to prison. So I got custody of him when I was – I got custody of him when I was 21. But at 22, I was working, and my transness got exposed, and they literally fired me a week after they found out that I was trans. And this this was in Indiana, and we didn't have those – we didn't have any kind of um, protections. And I literally was forced to get into sex work to be able to survive with my little brother and pay rent and pay mm-hmm. bills because I couldn't I did couldn't find a job and I had got fired from that job because literally directly was told because I was trans but I could didn't have any legal discourse to actually do anything about it because we now we have the protections it just came in 2020 but that was back in 2002 and so we mm-hmm. that was, 
you know, that was almost 20 years ago. And so we did have the protections, and they still don't um, in Indiana, but now we do with the Supreme Court case that just passed in June. But we just didn't, I just didn't have, um, I, I, it, that happening to me, it instilled a fear that mm-hmm. I, just don't, I just don't talk about my transness at work. I just don't. Mm-hmm. And so now I live in a space where I'm, I'm working on my own terms with people that affirm me. And it's such uh, just a, such a powerful feeling to be able to bring your whole self to work, your whole experiences, and, you know, all your expertise. And I love it. All right. And you'll be able to talk to somebody who might be doing, going through some and not know, you know, not know that, yeah, you can, you can, you can survive, you can thrive, forget that, you, yeah, there's trauma to understand that there is trauma, you right. know, but then you can go ahead and thrive and survive and tell people how to navigate to get to that point. What do you need to get? You know, what, what do you need to change? What markers do you need to get to change? You know, who to go to, who. I had a friend who moved, I want to, her, her sister moved to, I want to say Arizona, and, you know, was getting hormones off the street and was, like, really sick. Yeah. And we were able to connect her with another person in the trans community who said, you know, no, you can do this right, but if you don't know and there aren't people who are living out and authentically, you know, people die because of that stuff, you know? So, right, absolutely. Um, mhm. Wow. Wow. Well, I want to take a quick break, and then I want to talk about um, BTWI and BTAC. So we'll be right back. Okay. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Diamond Collier. You know, Diamond, one of the ways that my way of finding you started through BTAC, because I, and I knew BTAC, okay, first of all, through Kyler Brodus, and Kyler and Monica Roberts, and then they introduced me to Carter Brown, and the love fest began, <laughs> and... <laughs> I know, I know, BTEC, like, initially, Carter had Black Trans Men's International, but at that point in time, he was telling me that, you know, they recognized that it needed to be both, both parts of the community, and so there was BTWI, and I know that Monica, Didi Waters, they were really crucial in getting that side of it going. How did you come to... BTWI, and how did you become the executive director? 
Okay, great. So <laughs> Didi's came later, actually. It, it mm-hmm. was founded, um, so of course, when um, Carter wanted to bring black trans women into the fold, he went to his long-term friend, um, Kamarian Anderson. She is one yeah. she is uh-huh. the, fa- uh-huh. the founding member of BTWI, and when when they discussed it, they wanted to bring in black trans leaders and have a steering committee, and so the people that they brought to the fold was me and Monica Roberts, mm-hmm. and then we brought in Dee Dee Waters after that, mm-hmm. and so um, that started in 2011, and we have grown from there. We have I've been there since. Um, since the beginning, <laughs> and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm very, I love Kyler. He is one of my elders that I just respect so much. Um, of course, I yeah. love Monica. And just being mm-hmm. in community with Carter cause we're, and, and um, Camarion, just really being in community mm-hmm. and seeing the vision that they started and wanting to contribute whatever I could contribute. And so, um, you know, whatever I can do to promote and and get amplify their voices and what they were doing and whatever input because we were part of the steering committee because it wasn't an org right at the time and so we mm-hmm. were working to get like a 501c3 and you know I wanted to do it although I was working at Bath and Body Works as a store manager I didn't have all the time I made sure that I um, that I took some time to actually whenever they need me to be on a call whenever they need me to be in a staff meeting whenever they because I I immediately became a part of the board. Um, whenever, whatever they needed me to do, however they needed me to amplify, that's what I would do. And then I started creating program for them for the conference every year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I started to, um, you know, speak at the event. I was a keynote one year. Um, this whole time I was on the board, but actually really getting involved in creating programs, particularly for the event. And as time went on, it just became bigger and bigger and bigger. And I and I literally ended up being a um, when I became a store manager at Bath and Body Works, I was able to work my schedule because I was creating the schedule. <laughs> I was creating the schedule, so I was able to include BTWI and its plans and its vision in my schedule. So I really had more flexible time to be able to work with them, and so. Once Camarion um, stepped down and resigned, um, Monica, because she had Transgrio, she didn't want to take on the responsibility of the executive director. Um, Dee Dee mm-hmm. had a other engagement. She didn't want to take on the responsibility of the executive director. I was, you know, I was free at the time. <laughs> uh-huh. I was not, I was not, I, I was full-time podcasting with Marcia's Play. So I was no longer a a store manager at the time. And I was like, oh. And so Carter and his wife, Espy, came to Mm -hmm. me and was like, we would love for you to do this diamond because, you know, you just have the skills. You have, you know, you can, you can, we just think that you have the skills and you have the vision to be able to take us to the next level. Um, And so I talked to Monica Roberts. I talked to, um, Dee Dee Waters. I talked to my mother. <laughs> I mm-hmm, talked mm-hmm. to I talked to some of my best friends and see what they thought. And I took the I applied for the position, 
and it was, um, you know, it, it was a great experience. And so now that I've done this, we have been able to raise, you know, time, much, much more money than we have had in the mm -hmm. past. <laughs> we have been able to um, start programming for anti-violence housing. Um, we mm -hmm. were able to create a COVID relief fund. We were able to open up a food pantry where we are mailing food for different people across the country to be able to eat and survive. We just this we have just blossomed into an amazing organization that does amazing work for the Black trans women in in my community yeah. that I'm with and in. Mm -hmm you know, across the country, not just in Texas. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I don't know how, because, you know, Kamalian used to live in Michigan. She lived in Detroit for a hot minute before yeah. she went there, you know. And and actually, uh, and I haven't talked to her since she got married, you know, but, but mm -hmm. Kamalian and, you know, Carter and to have Espy come, you know, because Espy is a boss at, at organizing. I mean, what yeah. she's done yeah. with that. So I know that must have really... You know, if you pass the S.P. Brown test, you know you got to go. And I, I mean, it's just like, but you know, they are just like that. That thought to think like to go and to make it a community, but to recognize, you know, not just like well, we're going to just do this and the women can come, but to give you autonomy. You know, you're still part of it, but but to recognize that the needs and the and the issues and that presence of having women have their own organization as far as the men, but then all of you coming together each year for mm -hmm. BTAC, which eventually, I mean, every time I talk to Cardi, she are you coming this year? You know? <laughs> you know I, 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 and you know what? I mean, if it wasn't for this COVID stuff, you know, it had been on my agenda. But it was, it's just like how, how great it is to have these in that you're able to keep this going and that, that, you know, that they recognize somebody had to do it. And it's easy often for people who are in a leadership position or whatever to sort of say, well, why, why, why diamond? Did you get any of that, like, why diamond and not so-and-so and, or not this one? I know that, you know, some people are, are know that they have other things to do, but, did you get any pushback, like, from the community? Like, are you going to take it the way that we want it to go or the way that it's, it's been or any, any pushback to the direction that you plan, the programming that you're coming up with? Well, well I don't think I've gotten um, any pushback as, as far as, like, asking why Diamond. I think I'm, I've been an organizer for 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, I mm -hmm. won a case in 1999 when I sued my high school to wear a gown <laughs> to the prom, and I won. And so I've been making strides in towards um, like the liberation of trans people since I was 17 years old, and I had been doing the work. I had been organizing for mm -hmm. the longest. For the you know mm -hmm. I'm the first trans woman to go to Jackson State University in conservative Mississippi the first trans woman who, right, op right. who is openly trans and so I've been breaking barriers and people had already known me one of the reasons why they came to add me to the steering committee when they thought about bringing black trans women into the fold of BTAC they contacted me because I was already doing the work so people know me for doing, for doing the work. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't think 
them. I, I don't think it was any pushback on as far as like why Diamond. I was. It was a, almost like a perfect fit. I, I had already been with the organization mm-hmm. for as long as I had for eight years. Um, I had. You know, I was finally free because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I had to make Bath and Body Works a priority at one point because that was my bread and butter. But now, because I had started this podcast doing this kind of media thing where, you know, I'm sharing trans and archival work around trans experience, I was free for, at the perfect time. And so everybody, it was just kind of like, of course, yeah. <laughs> Why not, Diamond? Mm-hmm. This, this is going to be mm-hmm. the perfect thing. As far as the direction for the organization, one of the perks about having me as the ED is that I already had a national brand already. Mm-hmm. So I was a I was a YouTuber I love with that. four million views. <laughs> All right. All right. I already had like an audience. So if we're trying mm-hmm. to take uh, one of the things that happened is that um, when we when I before I came on um, the problem beca- the problem that I was seeing was that we weren't getting the visibility. A lot of people would be like, "Oh, I didn't even know that a uh, black trans or led by trans people existed," and so they mm-hmm. would say stuff like, "Oh, I didn't even know that existed." And so one of the things that I the vision that I have for the organization is to get a more national. Um, level of visibility. So in that process, I made sure that I, um, we have been featured on um, ABC <laughs> since, mm-hmm. I've been, since I've been the leader. We've been featured on Nightlines, ABC. We have been featured on um, The Root. I actually made the Route 100 list for 2020 as one of thank you community powerhouses, and that gives Mm -hmm. us more visibility. I have produced for BET trans content for BET. I have done so many things to elevate our visibility that we have gotten so much more visibility, and we've gotten so much more donations (laughs) for Mm -hmm. us to be able to actually implement the programs that we want to implement before, we weren't getting funded that well. We weren't getting, um, you know, and this is not just my work. I'm, I'm, it's not just me, no. but the combination of me, Espy, Carter, Monica, mm-hmm. um, the mm-hmm. history of um, Camarion, um, th- th- our powers combined created more visibility for this year. Um, and just made us a more powerful organization. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it just, I haven't had any pushback because my vision aligned, my own personal vision aligns mm-hmm. with the work, but also, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just aligns with what BTWI stands for and BTEC as a coalition stands for. So it's perfect. So I have a question now, you know, because I've talked to people who are, you know, doing things like I lay um I want to think last month or maybe the month before, I talked to Sid Ballou, and he, um, he's in the ballroom. Um, thing. Uh, he won uh, the first as a transgender man ring award, but he's also working on his legacy, the program that's on HBO Max. Um, you have Pose, you have doing all that. Back in the time, you know, as, as, as they started to recognize black people because, you know, there's similarities in movement, you know, it was like we always had to be funny. You know what I mean? We were on good times. We were on this. We always had to be funny, and people thought, oh, well, this is what black people look like, you know. And mm-hmm. do, you, do you find that you're providing that 
balance. It's like, yeah, well, maybe you can vote. But, you know, you are also doing policy, like you were talking about all the programs you're doing. it. So do you think that it, it's important to have both tracks, the entertainment-type visibility that you get from these programs, but also what you're doing, the real work that affects the everyday lives of transgender men, women, and young people? I think it's a combination of both. I think you need to have visibility because, first of all, visibility and awareness alone does not change people's lives. So, yes, we can have all these shows. We can have all these um, articles and op-ed pieces and interviews of black trans women and, and all these, you know, all these things. Yes, that's amazing for people to be aware of the problems going on or aware of the achievements going on or aware that we actually exist. That's amazing for awareness. But when it comes to people on the ground actually having survival mechanisms, actually having tools and infrastructure within society to be able to actually help them um, survive when times are hard, when they have these barriers. We have a whole administration. Thank God we have now voted him out. But we have a whole... Hallelujah. We have a whole administration that was literally banning trans people from the military, rolling back health care mm-hmm. protections for them. We literally have had the government against us rolling back actually policies that actually protect us. So as for me and our organization, we wanted to actually create infrastructure. We want to create housing. We want to create a center. We want to create um, a pantry for people to eat. We want to create... Um, um, access to um, any kind of personal health care that you need. We want to create access and tools that people can actually use in their life so that people, so it's not just, oh, I know you exist. It's, oh, I know you exist, and, oh, here's a tool to help you get across these barriers. We, it has mm-hmm. to be a combination of both. If we're, tra- if we're trying to change culture, it has to be the visibility and the actual tools and infrastructure for people to actually save, to, to for actually use um, as a survival mechanism. So it's not just – it's a combination of both. Both of them are important. You know, and the thing, like you said, all of these things that have been rolled back and you see people like, like they're so surprised, you know, and, you know, we still talk about – bathroom issues, which, I mean, it, it amazes me, you know, you should go in. Like, it's like I always say how people say the main concern is are they washing their hands when they leave, especially now, you know. <laughs> especially but, but, now. Uh-huh. But the fact that this year there's been over 30 trans men and women killed in the United States. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, and so – there's all of these things, the visibility is nice, but when it when it comes down to that and if you can save one life, you know, that's what it's about. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And actually and, and actually having the insight because I, I just sat here and told you earlier that I've been homeless. I've been a sex worker. Mm-hmm. I've been in I've been in the trenches. I'm not just some person <laughs> that just has a degree who's come from middle a mm-hmm. middle class home. My mother was affected by my mother was 
what Hillary called a super predator. She was one of those people who was affected by the crack epidemic. She was one of those people who was affected by the um, 1994 crime bill and was in prison. That, and that affected me. That's why I had to get custody of my brother when I was mm-hmm. 21 and drop out of college so that I could take care of him and then go back later while I was a sex worker and pay my way through school. I've been through so many things that now that I'm in, I'm in a position of quote-unquote power, power in the sense of that I can create programs and have some type of funding, it's not like we rich at all. <laughs> but mm-hmm. have oh, a yeah. little bit of, now that I have a little bit of power to create some funding, I actually have lived experiences and lived insight on how to affect our community and how to com- make real impact on the girls living on the ground. And so for me, that's what it's about. I actually have the lived experiences. It's not, I'm not just some person, whether they be white, whether they be cisgender, whether they be just a gay man or whatever, somebody who's not trans, who don't experience life the way that we do, experience the oppression in the same way that we do. They don't experience the intersection of um, oppression in the way that we do. Um, creating programs that are inefficient or creating programs just to get numbers, just to look, us, look at us as clients to get funding. We, I'm literally, I'm in the community, and I care about them, and I, and I have the insight to actually do what needs to be done. And that's, you know, I think that's valuable. I think having that kind of history and that, that insight, that's how you are effective in solving problems. You know, and two, I mean, I can recall, and I don't, I don't remember, it was at one point in time someone going like, oh, there's going to be a lot at a group that was like supposed to be nonprofit. And there's going to be a lot of, of money out there for transgender people, so you should all apply to get them. But to me, it's sort of like, no, you shouldn't apply to get them. You should be passing that information on to an organization that deals and works with transgender people and let them do the work because they understand because even the best of organizations, you know, you'll hear them. I was at a thing and they were like, well, if a transgender woman wants to come in and we don't look down on them because they did sex work, but we'll help them get a, a resume so they can go and get a real job. I said, but, you know, that's just sort of like not understanding that, you know, society has made it where you can't get a job and that you might be taking care of your, your brother. You're trying to take care of yourself, and this is what you're doing. And to have, and this was an LGBT or, quote, unquote, organization, which was, it sounded like to me like victimizing trans women because of what they had to do just to live. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, I and, mean, I don't also- also think about what you just said as far as, oh, there's all this money going to be out for trans women. There are barriers even for our organization. So, for example, if I am a, uh, you know, I'm a cis white gay person who has had Mm -hmm. the privilege of going to the best colleges, going to the best, um, you know, working under the best particular jobs that can teach me how to grant right. Mm-hmm. I am more likely to get that money from that organization because I am I have the skills to be able to grant right. But me, as a black trans ex hooker <laughs> who doesn't have you know who doesn't mm-hmm. have access to that training, 
who doesn't have access to that tracing. I don't know. I may not know how to write the best grant to get the money from them organization that says they got so much money for trans people. I may, that is a barrier for a black trans org led by trans people. I may mm-hmm. not have those skills. So uh, sometimes when you are trying to help a help an organization, sometimes it's not just giving money. Sometimes it's, hey, show me how to write that grant. Show mm-hmm. me, come, mm-hmm. come, donate your time to come write the grants for us. Show us, you know, and really, really put put your skills on the line to be able to help us move our vision forward. That's a that's another barrier because it's not just um it's not just it's not just like oh I I'm trans and I ask for money and you give it to me. <laughs> if it worked like that, it would be especially as an organization. It's actually really cliquish. It's this I call it the nonprofit industrial complex because it's, it's, Thank it's you. you get what I'm saying. It's really something mm-hmm. that that literally there are barriers even within this system that is supposed to meant to help people and create proper help for people. But even for us, like I just told you, like eight years, we were way underfunded, way underfunded. Mm-hmm. And so it's just mm-hmm. it's just now we get into the point where we can start. Start programming. Just start. We have a bailout program where we that's underfunded, but we have enough right now. But we're trying to get girls out of jail. So that what happens to Laylene Polanco in New York City, where she was left to die and died mm-hmm. in um in the in the um, solitary confinement cell. We don't want that happen here in Texas. So we have a bailout fund that's getting um that's called the Star Farmer Grace Initiative. Um, named after Dee Farmer, one of the a trans women that was um, locked up in Terre Haute, Indiana. We we started that to get people out of jail who who have create who have um, who are only in jail for nonviolent offenses. We don't want to get anybody else that's been in that's in there for violence or stuff like that. But mm-hmm. anything that's like a petty crime, we don't want them sitting up in jail dealing with the system, the carceral system, transphobia. We don't want them to end up dead or raped or attacked or um, harassed by the police. We want them to be out and free if they had done something small because she was only, it, Laylene was only locked up um, for a nonviolent offense and she only needed $500 as a bail. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so she wouldn't be dead if she had somebody that was there to bail her out. So we don't want somebody $500. for just $500 or a life of a trans mm-hmm. woman, the cost mm-hmm. was $500. So we mm-hmm. have that. We're starting a housing program named that we're going to name it after Monica Roberts. Um, okay. We're starting, a, um, we, like I said, we have a pantry. We, we've able to send food to people. We're able to send um, personal health care, like condoms and um, body washes. And, you know, we got um, donated by Dr. Bronner's um, body washes to help the, the, the people who may not, couldn't, couldn't get out for COVID. We, so many things that we have funding that we have finally been able to do and make an impact. We just now getting there, and even that is a little bit. We need more, but we finally, after eight years, are getting to the point where we are seeing a bigger impact. So yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I say, and kudos to you because the part that we neither one of us have said is, you know, we've talked about it, but we haven't said it directly. This is a black organization, black. and. There, there are a lot of organizations out here, and I know and I have seen white trans women who have access yeah. and to things that black trans people 
do not have access to. So kudos to you because also many people think, oh, if we give it to this transgender organization, which is predominantly white, and black people are getting the crumbs, and you don't have people in leadership who are recognizing the things that affect us as black people. Absolutely. So, you know, kudos to you. They don't know what they got in you. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, am, I, uh, I mean, you are doing it, and, and kudos to you. It is so important, and that's why I love BTAC, I love Carter, and everything, because this is our community, because none of us have given up our black card and which and there's benefits from that where our black community, you know, we have that history, but then we are also having that black card, we are still vic- victims of racism. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So, I mean, and the, and that that goes back to the barriers. Like that, being black creates a barriers. There's if if it's so. If you remember that um, recently, there's a girl in uh, a white girl in Silicon Valley, literally selling something that doesn't even exist or doesn't work, and she made millions. <laughs> there was a scandal. There was a scandal. The, the reason why she was able to do that is because she was white and she had the privilege of, oh, we can just trust to give her money. Of course, she's doing it right. The opposite is true for black orgs. The people scrutinize us <laughs> harder. Oh, if we give you this money, how are we going to, uh, what, what are you going to do with it? And how are you going to, like they just send us through, and, and we don't have a problem with that, but they just send us through much, much more. They send us through the ringer. They send us through much, much more scrutiny than I hear other white orgs. I, literally, I have applied for grant money from one organization and my friend, who was also an executive director, a white one, she literally didn't even go through some of the process that I had to go through. <laughs> like we literally, we literally had, she literally had to call them out on the different in our experiences. Even though we both got the organ, got, got the coins, once we got them, we literally, she did, the white woman, <laughs> the white trans woman, mm-hmm. she literally had to call them out on what they had sent me through in the process. And it could only be racist. <laughs> it could only be the fact that we're a black org. Because that, that was the only, basically the only difference. in Because in, we were helping each other behind the scenes, helping each other on how to apply and what to say and how to say. Mm-hmm. And so... And you know, and the thing is, she had to. It had to be her because, you know, if you had, you were the angry black woman. You angry you know? black woman, <laughs> you, you, the ghetto the girl. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, they would have said, well, you know, she didn't dot all her I's and cross all her T's. Uh-huh. Like so, you know, I mean, and which is the other part that happened. So, I mean, she, it's a good thing that you had, you work closely in a until white people start to call other people out on their racism, you know, they're not going to change because we always, we can make a lot of noise and stuff, but then they always go back with, oh, well, they're just angry. Here they go calling racism again. And it is racism. Mm, right. Mm. Playing the mm-hmm. black card and blah, 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 blah. Yes. Mm-hmm. We, and and I've, it's not just a white thing. Sometimes it's a cisgender gay thing. We've had experiences mm-hmm. with um, gay male black gay male organizations mm-hmm. playing games and not including us in things. But then when it comes mm-hmm. to funding and grant writing, they're including our name in their grant 
and we're not even working with the org. They're just trying because mm-hmm. they're trying to get money for trans people because that's the hot ticket now. They'll mm-hmm. include us as partners, and we're not even working with them. And so mm-hmm. some of the funders would have to call us and say, like I remember one of our um, our one of the funders, the, the people who. Um, assess the grants who actually are a part of the decision making one of them was my friend and they had to call me and say hey this organization is saying that they're working with y'all and I know you don't work with them (laughs) and I was like Mm -hmm. yes we don't work with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) so they're literally Mm -hmm. lying and saying that they work for with us just to be able to get more money I've seen experiences like that while we aren't even funded (laughs) so they're using Mm -hmm. us as as to to gain leverage when getting these decisions made, and so it's these type of um, things that are barriers for us. We literally, you know, we're we're making it work, but there's so many barriers, so many barriers, so many situations mm-hmm. where you know we are just we're just trying to make it, and you know, there's all these hurdles. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you do. I, know you. I mean, it's like if the work is hard enough without this, you know, without the BS. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to take another break, and I want to I want to talk about um, Marsha's plate, but I also want to talk about Monica Rabbit. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here with Diamond Collier. Diamond, you know, I could not talk with anyone without talking about Monica Roberts. I mean, the fact that you're going to do housing in her name. I mean, you know, um, I, uh, you know, when the election came down, all I could think of was like, you know, I wish Monica had been here to see that because she was just like such a powerhouse. She was a friend. Um, how has the loss of someone like of her stature in the community affected your community and also the work that you have ahead of you? Oh, gosh, this is a massive loss. Monica was mm-hmm. not only a powerhouse, just a historian. There's, mm-hmm. there's no second-tier Monica. There is... Mm-mm. She is a person who had a unique gift. She is, just let me put it in context. She is a black, transgender, sports fanatic, political, 
political expert. <laughs> All these combination of things. How are you going to find somebody that's a sports fanatic, a trans woman, a black trans woman that's into <laughs> politics, that's into history? That is, and she has the history of her. Her father was a, a, a radio host. Her her mother was a, a legendary radio host here in Houston, and her mother was a, a school teacher. So writing and using new avenues and <laughs> schools to get information out—that's in her blood. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's in her blood. Mm-hmm. You can, we're not gonna have anybody that can replace Monica. And I remember Oprah um, was talking about how, a conversation that she had with um, with Maya Angelou, and she was like, "Oh, I'm just worried about." Oprah was saying, "I'm just worried about what my legacy is gonna be." And uh, and Maya Angelou said, "Girl, calm down. You're never gonna know what your legacy mm-hmm. is gonna be because what your legacy." is going to be is how many people you touch and you don't know you'll never grasp how many people mm-hmm. you touch with your work and I want you to understand that Monica we won't know the kind of loss because we won't know what Monica's legacy is because she has touched so many people I, I remember when the news came out that she passed away there were people from Kenya who were hitting mm-hmm. me up giving me condolences because they knew that we were so close giving me condolences, saying that Monica Roberts, when I was trying to get laws changed here in Kenya, which are far behind when it comes to America, um, Monica Roberts' blog was giving me inspiration. I found some people who had done the same thing that I did or who had been through some of the same thing and was and gave me inspiration to do to fight the good fight. And then I had mm-hmm. people from South Africa. I had people from Belgium. I had people from the U.K. I had people from all across the United States. I had people from Brazil. There were people who knew Monica's work because when uh, there was a time that when you Google trans information, the only people that you're going to find is me on YouTube and Monica on mm-hmm. the blog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially mm-hmm. like around 2008, 2009, the only mm-hmm. people that you would that that were really taking transness seriously, like of course you can find some porn, of course you can find you know uh-huh. you know something in that realm. But when we talk about really taking trans history and trans um, news seriously, the only people that you could find that Monica and myself. And so when we connected in two thousand and nine, in two thousand ten, it just was magical. And I didn't know her. I, I didn't know that she had been following me since I was seventeen. She transitioned. Mm-hmm. She transitioned. I transitioned in nineteen ninety five. I was thirteen, and she transitioned in nineteen ninety four. So although we are many, many um, about twenty years apart, we transitioned around the same time. Mm-hmm. And so when I was suing my school and going through college, she was actually in Louisville writing articles about my experience. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know her until I met her in 2010. That was in um, 99, 2000. In 2010, I met her, and she told me about it. And people were telling me that this woman was writing about me when I was in high school, when I, I mean, when I was in college. So this is this is our history. She's somebody who... Who actually archived us? <laughs> what and really shared the experience of trans people, trans men, trans women, non-binary folks. She really just did the work in putting us 
on a serious national level. That's why she got so many awards from Thank Black. You. That's why she got so mm-hmm. many awards. It, it's just what I can't. I just can't explain it. We don't. We, I can't explain how major this loss is because there's nobody that's going to be able to take her place. And, and so you know, going and, forward, go ahead. And you know, and but she was that person because I tell people who were. I was fine. If Monica called me, she would call and just say, how you doing? Yeah. You know? She would just, and we would go ahead and call, go on into politics and everything else. But, Monica, you could call people from anyone from the community could call her and ask her about something. And she would she would tell you, you know, I mean, and often she would be doing things for people and not tell you what she needed because she, she put it, as they say, somebody who laid it, left it all on the floor, she left it all on the floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so moving forward, I feel like um, I just want to make sure, just like she cared about preserving the legacy of trans people, I want to make sure that I'm preserving the legacy of Monica Roberts. I want you to know that she impacted our community, not just Mm -hmm. here as a Houstonian, but that she impacted our community on a global level. There are people, I want Mm -hmm. people to know who she is. I want people to, I don't want her to just um, fade away in people's psyche. I want you to know that, um, you know, she was a huge part of BTWI, she was a huge part of BTAC, and she was a huge part of this city, and that's why I want to create a home that um, helps um, black trans women, black cis women. I want want it to be a mental health and housing place for people to come and get free mental health care. This is just a vision. Mm -hmm. We're still trying to Mm -hmm. get funding for it. But for cis and trans women to bridge that gap between us and get mental health um, care that for affordable price or free um, and housing, and any kind of just like a center for health care and mental health care. I really want that, and I want to name it after Monica so that people know this is the impact that she had and this is her legacy continuing forward. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I hope that you keep me informed on it because I'm happy to share it and, and help work with it. How do people, if they wanted to, con- I know that there was a Monica Roberts Memorial Fund, but is that where if they wanted to contribute to that or do that, do they go back to the BTWI, Black Trans Women International uh, page? Yes, it's blacktranswomen.org um, mm-hmm. slash donate. You can go and mm-hmm. donate and any funds that you mm-hmm. give to us. We definitely um, are putting it towards our programming. And, yes, we are in the process now. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Okay, now. Before I let you go, Marsha's Plate. Now, you know, I love that you're doing it. Uh, I think that, you know, we need to do more of it as people to have a con- be able to have a conversation and stuff and do it. How did you come into doing Marsha's Plate? I love it. Oh, gosh. It's, uh, so this is my baby. This is my media baby. <laughs> I can't... Okay. I, I, I can be honest because I feel, I feel, I feel because the energy is here. I feel like I can be honest with you. 
I started Marsha Play for a very vanity reason. <laughs> so I was a YouTuber and I was gaining weight. I was, you know, I was coming. When I started YouTube, I was in my late 20s and I had this, per in my mind, this perfect body. <laughs> I was slim and da 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 da. But once I hit 35, baby, <laughs> the weight just started to come. And so, and so I wasn't, I, I literally wasn't enjoying how I was looking on camera. I was like, oh my God, I'm looking fat. I'm feeling sorry for myself. And I hadn't adjusted to the weight. So I was like, but I still want to give content because I care about um, what's happening in the world. And so I was like, oh, well, maybe I could do a podcast. That's just sound. <laughs> and, so, and so that's literally the reason why I started the podcast initially um, as far as, like, just to, to do something other than being on YouTube so I have to, didn't have to do the video form. But then getting this process started literally was a healing process and accepting process in regards to my body because once I started the project, I started to be thrown into um, even more public speaking, even more video gigs, even more because of the amazing work that we do with our podcast. People started to resonate with it. It started to be taught in colleges. I started to have to speak at different schools. And so it literally forced me in a situation where I had to accept how I looked, accept my new body, accept my new um, size 18 figure. <laughs> and so that kind of um, literally helped me in the process of healing myself and my insecurities about my weight. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, we're a podcast that, um, that is hosted by three black trans people, um, me, Mia Mix, and Zaire. We explore topics of gender, current events, politics, and even the scumbags around the world <laughs> who, are, who, are up, who are upholding systems of oppression for black, from a black trans feminist lens. Um, mm -hmm. We are funny. We are no holds barred. We cuss. If we don't code switch, we're going to give you full blackness. <laughs> we're going to introduce you to um, new perspectives. And we also pride ourselves in introducing our audience to trans community leaders from around the country because it's really, really important for you to hear about what people are doing on the ground. And I'm an organizer, so I have my finger on the pulse of the community, so I know who is out here doing real work and authentic work that's actually giving people tools, as I said earlier, mecha tools and um, survival mechanisms to actually um, help them in their lives. And so I like to showcase people because a lot of times, we, especially now, we are showing all these superstars like um, Laverne mm -hmm. Cox and Shannon Mock and all the actresses and all their beauty. But there's literally people who are not actors and singers and blah, 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 blah. Not that those things don't matter, but there are people literally on the ground creating programming and work, and I wanted to kind of showcase them. So we do kind of archival work. We want you to be able to go back in time and listen to episodes and learn about people and learn about trans people that you may not know about because they're not popular, but they are doing great work. And so we want to make sure that we're not only talking about current events and whatever's happening in the world, we also mm -hmm. want to share, share with you um, trans people, trans leaders in the community. And that's what, what really caught me about that because a lot of what I'm trying to do is like, you know, these are people who are doing these things, they're doing like really different doing things. And, girl, I'm going to tell you, you – 
I think you're beautiful. I don't know what I, what you have to get. I don't know what you have to get used to. <laughs> oh, 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 what you have to get used to. I'm like, oh, she's so pretty. Yeah, I mean, uh, but you know, but isn't that important too? That that you're able to do that, and you took, you had to work with as far as body image because we know that there's a lot of young women who are struggling with body image and not accepting themselves. And you know what? And your body at 20 changes, you know. Absolutely. And to to learn to still love it and love yourself. I mean, that is, is, as, as a trans woman, how people treat us, the goodness or the badness, can really be mm-hmm. affected by how we look. Like if you are a person who doesn't look like look the part or who doesn't um, fit certain social stereotypes, people can treat you worse. People can treat you worse than what they normally would. And so uh, for me, really divorcing from that ideal that I have to be perfect or divorcing from that ideal that I have to be a certain way um, to get to find love, to get treated well, and really marrying myself to the idea that I deserve love and being treated well just because I exist, just because mm-hmm. I'm a good person, just because I treat people well. I, those things are the measure of my character, and, I, and, I, and, and actually marrying to the idea that I deserve love no matter what size I am. I deserve love no matter, no matter what. And so th- this experience with my podcast and really um, working, I even got an episode called um, Fat Black Supremacy. <laughs> and, you know, it really has taught me through the process of creating this kind of content that is progressive, this kind of contact, that content that is intended to love and make community feel good, it has made me love and make myself feel good. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, really, it, it, it is, it's so, I mean, and that's one of the things, you know, that, that we have to deal with as, as black people, again, going back particularly black people, especially black women, we've been objectified, we've been vilified, and, you know, where it's like for a moment for us to stop and look in the mirror and go like, damn, I look good, you know? Yeah. And, and not for you, for you who, for me. I love me, and I love the way that I look. And as you do that, and you, you're out there walking and being you, you know, hey, there's others who are looking and who are going to be that same way. Absolutely. Oh, mm-hmm. oh Diamond, I'll tell you. I could talk to you forever, so what it means is I'm going to call you back and we'll talk some other times. But, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I am so happy to have met you and to connect with you. I want to thank my guest, Diamond Collier, the Executive Director of Black Trans Women, Inc., and co-host of Marsha's Plate. Marsha's Plate airs on YouTube every Thursday. You can support the work of Black Trans Women, Inc. on their website, www.blacktranswomen.org. Each year, between November 13 to 19, People and organizations around the country participate in Transgender Awareness Week to help raise the visibility about transgender people and address issues members of the community face. In 2020, 
over 30 transgender Americans have been killed. Like in previous years, transgender women of color are disproportionately impacted. We remember Monica Diamond, Lexi, Leila Perez Sanchez, Nina Pop, Tony McDade, Dominique Remy Fells, Rhea Milton, Brayla Stone, Mercy Mack, Shaky Peters, Bree Black, Brian Egypt Powers, Tiffany Harris, Keisha D. Hardy, Aja Raque Roan Spears, Key Sam, Arian Burnett, Mia Green, Felicia Harris, Brooklyn Deshawn Smith, Angel Haynes, Dustin Parker, Nulisa Luciano Ruiz, Yampi Mendoza Arocho, Johanna Metzger, Serena Angelique Villaquez Ramos, Hell Jai Oregon, Jane Thompson, Selena Reyes Hernandez, Summer Taylor, Marilyn Monroe Cazares, Michelle Michelin Ramos Vargas, Sarah Blackwood, and all those who we may not know who lost their lives due to transphobic violence. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.